So last uh, Sunday, as the children walked up the middle aisle waving the palm trees, I was reminded of a photograph, a photograph of a day that took place back in February of 2021. And for those of you who follow football, you would know that that was the Super Bowl. But it was in the middle of COVID. And my team, and I'm not a bandwagon jumper, my team, the Kansas City Chiefs, who I've cheered for at least 20 plus years, were once again in the Super Bowl, but it was COVID. So there was no Super Bowl party. It was just my two sons and I, and I think maybe Allison sneaked a peek at the TV every once in a while. So we had to be our own cheering section. But we were convinced that the Super Bowl was Kansas City's to be had once again. They were playing Tampa Bay, and that was Tom Brady's team, but we still were confident, and we wanted everyone to know how confident we were that victory was to come very shortly. And so Allison took a picture of Jack, Graham, and myself, all decked out in our Kansas City stuff, and plastered it on Facebook so everyone knew who we were cheering for. And so we had a Kansas City baseball cap on, and we had a bit Kansas City toque. Al, don't be jealous. Kansas City socks. Patrick Mahomes, sippy cup. I didn't have this then, but my daughter painted me this for Christmas this year. But we would have been waving the Kansas City Chief painting poster. We were so excited, and we were convinced that Kansas City was going to win. But if you know anything about the Super Bowl that year, you know that very quickly Kansas City fell behind, and they never caught up. Patrick Mahomes didn't even throw a touchdown pass. And uh, by halftime, it was 21 to 6, and by the end of the game, it was 31 to 9 for Tampa Bay. And we were dejected. We were humiliated. I wanted that picture off of Facebook as quick as possible. And there was no one to talk to other than Jack and Graham to console ourselves. And so we talked amongst ourselves, what happened? How could that possibly have taken place? And the reason why I remembered that photograph is because that's exactly what was happening on Palm Sunday. As the kids walked up the aisle and they're waving the palm branches, that was to remind us what took place the day that Jesus rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem. And the crowd was going wild. I mean, it was a party atmosphere. There was victory in the air. That Jesus was the promised Messiah and he was going to redeem Israel. But within a week... That very same Jesus was hung on a cross, bloodied and beaten. And for those who had put their hope and their expectation in this man named Jesus, by the end of that week, all that was left were those final words of a dying and seemingly defeated man. It is finished. 
The story I want to look at with you this morning is the story from Luke 24 that Daniel and Linda read to us. And we come across two disappointed, disillusioned travelers. They're walking away from Jerusalem where all of this has taken place. And they're heading home seven miles away down a dusty road to Emmaus. You know, someone has once said that the longest walk is the walk away from the grave of someone that you love. And I realize there's a few of you here, and this is very, very recent emotions for you. The longest walk is the walk away from the grave of someone you love. You walk away from that grave and you feel like your world has come to an end. You walk away from that grave and you, you think of all the things that you had with that person, but you're not going to have with that person anymore. You think of the way things were and, and you think of the way things could have been. You walk away from that grave and you cry and you cry until you don't feel like you can cry anymore. You walk away from that grave and you, you think of all the good memories and the laughter and then you suddenly realize it's over. It's done. It's gone. And there's nothing you can do about it. The longest, saddest walk is the walk away from the grave, from the tomb of one that you love. And that's the walk that we find these two travelers taking in Luke 24. Jesus has died. He's been put in a tomb. And these two travelers are disappointed that Jesus didn't turn out to be everything that they had hoped he would be, that he hadn't done the things that they hoped he would do. They were disappointed with God that he hadn't yet sent the real promised Messiah. And so they threw in their towel and they were heading home. Even the reports from the woman that the tomb was empty and that the angels had told them, why are you looking for the dead, or sorry, the living among the dead? Even that wasn't enough to convince them because their theology didn't contain a dead Messiah. And if Jesus had really risen from the dead, then where is he? Why hadn't he shown himself? And little did they know that the risen Savior was going to meet them that day on the road to Emmaus. You know, and as Daniel and Linda read that account, and as, I, as we'll go through the story this morning, I think there's a question that Luke wants us to ask. Might not be the question that first comes to mind, but I think it's the question that underlies the whole story. What's going to convince these two travelers that what the woman have reported is true. That Jesus was the Messiah. That Jesus has risen from the dead. What's going to convince them of that? And if you were listening as the story was read, and if you know the story, well, perhaps the answer seems quite obvious. What's going to convince these two travelers that Jesus really was the Messiah, that he did rise from the dead? Well, it's obvious. Because Jesus is going to encounter them on the road to Emmaus. That's what's going to convince them that all of this is true. 
But if you look at this story really carefully, you're going to notice something that's really interesting. It's kind of a twist in the story, not what you're expecting. Jesus keeps his identity hidden from these two travelers. And the other question that Luke wants you to ask was, why is he hiding his identity? What's going to convince them? Why is he hiding the identity? And here's the answer. I'm going to tell you right up at at the front of the message. Jesus wants them to be convinced about who he is and what he has done through a conviction that what the scriptures say is true. That Jesus wants these two travelers to encounter the living word through faith and the truthfulness of the written word. And that's an important lesson for us. And it's the lesson that I want us to see from this story this morning. And it's this. God can turn our disappointment into hope as we seek the risen Savior through faith in his word. That God will turn our disappointment, our discouragement, our doubt into hope, into belief, into joy as we encounter, as we seek the risen Savior through faith and through a deeper understanding of his word. If you don't have your scripture open or your Bible app open, turn to Luke 24 uh, and, or scroll to Luke 24 and, and let's walk through this story together. Now, if you were outside this morning for the sunrise service, uh, Al thought he made a mistake and read from Luke when he wanted to read from John, but I was glad he read from Luke because he kind of gives the background to this story. Uh, the first uh, 12 verses of Luke 24 There's one thing it's important that we realize. Let me just find where that verse is. Verse verse 11. And so the woman have gone to the tomb. It's empty. They've been encountered uh, by the angels. And then I'll read verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all of these things to the 11 and to all the others. In verse 10, it identifies who these people were. And who had seen the empty tomb, but verse 11, but they did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. It's important for us to understand not even the closest followers of Jesus expected Jesus to rise from the dead. They didn't really understand the purpose that Jesus had to die. And they definitely didn't understand, expect, anticipate, or believe that after the most tragic thing that could happen, Jesus is put to death, that he would rise again. So that's important to understand. So these two travelers that we encounter in the rest of Luke 24, they're not alone. Even the closest followers didn't expect that Jesus would rise from the dead because they didn't understand what all the scriptures and and the Old Testament prophets had said about the necessity of the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ, let alone that on the third day he would rise again. And so then we come into our story. And I love this story. It's a great story. It's a fun story. Because if you read it, 
It almost seems like Luke is poking fun at those who doubt the resurrection. So it's a fun story, and it's a cheeky story. Because we, as the readers, we know more than the two travelers do. And so as we read this account and as we listen to the account, we want to yell out to the travelers, it's Jesus. It's Jesus that's traveling with you. Take a closer look. It's also a story that makes you go, hmm. I've already shared a couple of the questions. What's going to convince these travelers that this is Jesus, that it's true about the things said about the promised Messiah? Why does Jesus hide his identity from them? I've given, suggested the answer to that. Why was Jesus hidden from them? I think it was a God thing. And then at the end of the story, what is it that allowed the travelers to actually be able to recognize that it was indeed Jesus with them? So there's all sorts of questions that we can ask as we uh, read the story and think about it. And then it's an encouraging story. If you were Jesus, and you had just fulfilled Scripture, and you had risen from the dead, and you were planning your grand appearance... Where would you appear? To whom would you appear? I'm trying to think of, <clears throat> I grew up in Toronto. I, I, if it was me, I, I would appear on the top of the CN Tower so everyone could see me in all my glory. But this is Luke's first post-resurrection account. And who does Jesus choose to appear to? Two obscure travelers. We only know the name of one, Cleopas. We don't know who the other traveler even is. Might have been his wife. It could have been a brother. It could have been a friend. Someone he met in Jerusalem for the past week. But Jesus chose to burst into their world and to encounter them on a road that doesn't even exist anymore. And I think some of you might be here this morning And you're thinking that Jesus really doesn't care about me. There's so many more important people, worthy people, that Jesus is going to reveal himself in a special way to. And that's not what this story tells me. And if you're here this morning, don't expect anything less than Jesus revealing himself to you in a new, a significant, in a deeper way today. And that you'll encounter him here at church or you'll encounter him on the road back to your house today. Because that's the encouragement from this story. And so as we begin the story, we, we, we are introduced to the three characters. And the, and the first character is obviously Jesus. And Jesus appears to these two travelers as just another traveler on the road. And I guess it was common for travelers to kind of walk together and talk together. And so there's these two travelers. And the only thing they know about Jesus is that he's another traveler and that whether Jesus slowed down or he sped up, he eventually gets beside these two travelers. And and we'll see that in a moment. So these two travelers know nothing about Jesus, but one thing. There's one thing that's very evident about Jesus to these two travelers. And that's this. He's clueless. Like he's either been asleep at the wheel or he's a little slow, but he's the only person that has no clue what's just taken place in Jerusalem. And that's where they're walking from. How could Jesus or this traveler 
have had been anywhere near Jerusalem and not had a clue what is taking place. And that's all they know about who we know to be Jesus, the promised Messiah, the risen Savior. Also, then we have these two travelers. They're leaving Jerusalem. There's no reason to stay in Jerusalem. As far as they are concerned, it's done. It's finished. Their hopes, gone. Their expectations, smashed. Their anticipation, their aspirations, their explanations, any other word you can think that fits in there, they're all gone. They're all crushed. How could they have been so wrong? How could they have been so foolish to believe? What had gone wrong? Luke says that as the uh, two of them are, are walking along, they're deliberating with each other. And, and Luke doesn't really tell us what they're talking about, but, but I think we can imagine what they're talking about. What happened? Why did it have to turn out this way? What, what caused things to turn out this way? Like only last week, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and there was this party-like atmosphere and victory was in the air and people were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, save. And then the next day he cleared the temple. And then he had command over the temple. But then he was arrested. He was put on trial. What a mockery. And he was beaten and ridiculed. And he was nailed to a cross. And he was put to death. And he was put into a tomb. How could we have been so wrong? And I think it's about this moment that Jesus comes up to him. He knows exactly what they've been talking about. But he wants to hear them explain it to him. And so Jesus says, what are you talking about? I can just imagine the, the, the look of the face of those travelers. Humiliated, dejected, downward, and absolutely amazed that this guy's asking them what took place. But they explained it anyways. They explained how they believed this man named Jesus was the promised Messiah. But that he'd been crucified and put to death. And they now realize that he was nothing more than just another in the line of prophets come from God who eventually died. And as you look at your text, and you look at verse 21, we come to the, dilemma, uh, the core of the dilemma. So they've been explaining this to Jesus and, and probably sharing with Jesus other, other uh, half-truths, some things that they didn't quite understand properly, their confusion, perhaps things that happened that they reject because it's just not part of their theology. And in verse 21, it says, they told Jesus, we had hoped that he was the one 
who is going to redeem Israel. That was their problem. They had hoped that Jesus was going to be a liberator. That he was going to bring liberation and freedom to their people from the tyranny and the oppression of Rome. That Jesus was going to set up this victorious kingdom right there on earth and maybe the Romans were going to serve the Jews. You see, they desired and they expected the glory of the promised Messiah's kingdom, but they wanted nothing to do with the suffering that the Old Testament tells us and what Jesus himself had said must precede the glory. And when Jesus is crucified and put in a tomb, in the minds of these two travelers and many others, Jesus is disqualified. And so you see what's fueling their discouragement is a faulty understanding, specifically for them, about redemption. Which, from our vantage point, seems kind of hard to believe. Because we read the Old Testament and it is filled with all sorts of teaching about redemption. That to redeem something involves paying a price. You you buy something back. And, And these two travelers would have been amongst many who had participated in the Passover, and they they knew from their history and their own personal religious experience that they would sacrifice the life of an animal as a price for forgiveness. But what they failed to understand and where they, where they failed to connect the dots is that Jesus, the promised Messiah, he had come to be that once and for all payment. He had come to purchase forgiveness once and for all through the giving of his life on the cross. But they didn't get it. They refused to believe it. And so they end up being discouraged and disappointed. But we continue in the story, and and now it's Jesus' turn to respond. Or if you're following, I've made us down to verse 25. And Jesus turns the tables on these two travelers. I'm assuming they must have thought Jesus was a fool because he had no clue what had just taken place in Jerusalem. But now Jesus is going to rebuke them for their foolishness, for their inability to perceive and to believe what the prophets had already said. That if they just listened, they would have understood that the promised Messiah was to come and to give his life as a payment for sin. If they'd recalled the words of John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God, who what? Comes to take away the sins of the world, if they just listened to Jesus, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be put to death, but on the third day he would rise again. 
But they missed all of that. And so as they're continuing to walk, and, and I don't know how long it takes to walk seven miles on a dusty road, and I don't know if they stop for breaks, but for a good portion of that walk, they got probably the best small group Bible study that's ever taken place. Because Jesus himself was going to explain the scriptures to these two travelers and was going to explain what the scriptures had to say in all of its fullness concerning the promised Messiah, who he was, and what he would do, and what that would accomplish. And, and Luke doesn't tell us, maybe there's just not enough space to tell us all the things that Jesus would have said to those two travelers, but it's fun to imagine. Jesus may have gone all the way back to Genesis 3, where we read that a promised redeemer would crush the head of the serpent probably turn them to Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, where we are told that in order to redeem us, God would become a man. And certainly he must have turned to, to Psalm 22 or recited Isaiah 53 that redemption. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Finally, someone at Auburn gives me a response. <laughs> I'm sure that Jesus took them uh, to Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, that says that to redeem us, it involves suffering and death. And surely he would have taken them to Job, I believe it's 19, that said that not even the grave can contain this sin-crushing, death-defeating Savior. And there's so much more that I'm sure Jesus shared with these two travelers. And, and as they get to uh, where they're going to stop in Emmaus, Luke says that their hearts were burning within them. Their heart was on fire because they were overwhelmed with joy. Remember, this is the two guys that had just said, how could we have been so wrong? How could we have been such fools to believe? What happened? This Jesus is disqualified. We're so confused. And now their hearts are burning inside them. Why? Because they realize the scriptures are true. That Jesus is the Messiah. The woman were right. Jesus has risen from the dead. See, God can take our disappointment and our discouragement and our doubt and he can turn it into hope as we understand and put our faith and as we seek the risen Savior and as we encounter him through his written word. Because catch this very important detail. Their hearts were burning within them. They were overwhelmed with joy. They were convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, that the woman were right, that he had risen from the dead. But they still didn't know that it was Jesus that was standing right in front of them. His identity was still concealed. So what caused their hearts to burn within what brought this unbelievable change uh, in conclusion of what had just taken place? It was because they were convinced 
of the truthfulness of what the scriptures had said as Jesus had taught them concerning the promised Messiah. And there is another sermon in application in that point. There is no greater privilege for myself or Al or Brian or Paul, anyone else that comes behind this pulpit, than to expound upon Scripture and help you to understand it more. There is no greater privilege for us as individual followers of Jesus to be able to take God's Word and explain it to somebody else so that they too can encounter a risen Savior that we find in the pages of the written Word. Well, the story continues, and I want to keep going. We're almost done, and and we come to the great reveal. So Jesus has got these two travelers burning within, and then he says, well, i got to keep going. Oh, they don't want him to leave. No, stay with us. It's late. Come on in. Have dinner with Jesus. But they didn't know it was dinner with Jesus. It was dinner with this unknown traveler. And so Jesus agrees to stay, and, and, and they go to break bread, and, and all of a sudden Jesus takes the role of the host. And he takes the bread and he breaks it, and I'm assuming he prays. And at some point, and Luke doesn't tell us how these two travelers all of a sudden realize it's Jesus himself right in front of them. He was the unknown traveler. Was it the scars on his hand? Was it the way he prayed, or did God just have the scales fall from their eyes. I don't know. But all of a sudden they realized it's Jesus and Jesus disappears. They've been convinced of the truthfulness concerning the promised Messiah, that Jesus was the Messiah. He had risen from the dead and they'd actually seen him in person. And they had to go and tell somebody. There's a whole sermon in that too, right? Spiritual apathy turns to spiritual zeal when you encounter the risen Savior through a deeper understanding of God's Word. When you put your faith and trust in what the Scriptures have to say, it burns your heart within. You've got to tell somebody about it. But that's a message for another day. I realize, I want to conclude with this, I realize that, that there might be some here listening at home who will listen to this message later on. And, and there's the words of Easter that have confused, or there are, there's a phrase from Easter that has confused so many people, has paralyzed them, has been misunderstood. I said it right near the beginning. And you're saying, but Brent, he said... It is finished. And you know, at that Super Bowl game, I'm assuming that Coach Reed said to his fellow coaches when they realized there was no way they were going to come back against Tampa Bay, I'm sure he said it's finished. Done. Nothing we can do. It's over. But that isn't what Jesus meant when he said, it is finished. When Jesus said it, was, it is finished, it, it was a shout of victory. To die. It literally means that I have accomplished, I have finished, I have completed everything that I set out to do. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he left no unfinished business. The suffering that was ordained by God the Father 
was finished. When Jesus died, the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled. And when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, the work of redemption was finished. As we sang in many of the songs today, the wrath of God against sin was satisfied. Satan is defeated. Grace and peace are available to those who will put their trust in the person and work of Jesus. A right relationship with God that brings peace, real peace and joy has been made available. And as we sang, and I think in the song just before I started to speak, the price has been paid in full. The Bible says that the wages of sin, the price that we owe is death. But the Bible tells us that because of what Jesus did, because he died on the cross, taking our sins upon himself and rising again to prove that what he did was real and true, tells us that he has paid the price. He's paid the price in full. Let that truth sink in and allow your heart to burn within. The price has been paid in full. The morning of uh, Jonathan and Lauren's wedding, <clears throat> the, the girls in the wedding party and, and grandmas and moms were, uh, most of them were at our house and uh, we'd brought in a hairstylist. And the understanding amongst the, the, the girls was that you know, they were responsible to pay the hairstylist whatever they wanted to have done. Well, as the activities were going on, I just felt, you know, I want to bless this wedding party and I'll pay for uh, whatever the bill is going to be. And so I took Emily, the hairstylist aside, and I said, Emily, I want to pay. I want to pay whatever it's going to be for everyone. So just tell me what it is and, and I'll write a check. And it was so heartwarming for me to sit in the kitchen watching these girls getting their hair done one by one and then going to Emily. And there's two or three conversations specifically that I can remember where they went to Emily and said, well, how much do I owe? And she goes, you owe nothing. And they said, well, how's that possible? And this was her words. Talk to the father. Talk to the father. And you might be here this morning and you are far away from God. You've never entered a relationship with God through Jesus. And you feel that the sin that is in your life, whatever it is that you've brought in with you, I don't know if it's lust, anger, cheating, whatever baggage, whatever skeletons, and you feel that you have no chance with God. And the message that God wants you to hear is to tell us, die. It is finished. And you ask, how is it possible? Talk to the Father. Because he stamps with approval what his son has done. Paid in full. And that's the great news of the Easter story. That Jesus has come. He's paid the price for our sin. And our sins can be forgiven. And we can have a right relationship with God. We can enjoy the peace, the joy, the abundant life that God wants us to enjoy. And not because of anything that we do. Because 
all that we can do is not enough. But it's because what Jesus has done for us and he's paid the price in full. And this morning, my prayer, our prayer as a leadership team here at this church is that that would be your experience, that would be your understanding, and that that's what you would walk away from as you leave this church this morning. Daniel, won't we sing a few more songs?